Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Years ago, a man I loved very much handed me a book called The Ethical Slut. It's essentially a how-to guide for non-monogamous relationships. This title was emphatically not on my Christmas list. This man and I had been struggling for a long time to try to sort out a viable relationship. We were on again, off again, tears, ultimatums. And I could not believe he had the gall to hand me this book. Weren't we working through trust issues already? Hadn't we just started to see a therapist? And with so much work to do, He's out here looking for permission to get something on the side. I felt like I'd gone to a tea party and been served a Molotov cocktail. The man, on the other hand, seemed to think this book could actually help us. When my temper cooled, which it did at a geological pace, I reassessed the situation. I had several well-adjusted friends in non-monogamous arrangements. Some cultures even expect people to have more than one mate at a time. <laughs> okay, I got ahead of myself. Hi. Hello. I'm Dessa. This is Deeply Human, and together we are going to rummage around your intuitions about romantic love, monogamy, and its alternatives. For the word nerds in the room, go ahead, put your hands down. I see yous. Yes, monogamy, strictly speaking, describes being married to only one person. But we're using it here, as we do in casual conversation, to describe having a sexual relationship with only one person at a time. Monogamy is definitely the norm where I grew up. But why should romantic relationships be exclusive when other relationships don't have to be? Like, we can love more than one sibling, more than one parent... And if we run into a friend having lunch with someone else, we don't flip the table over. So why was I so reluctant to even consider a more open relationship? If your committed, loving relationships have been exclusive, is that the product of a conscious choice or just social conditioning? Why do our relationships have to be one at a time? First, let's talk about monogamy. 
We need to talk about it the way we talk about sobriety. You can fall off the wagon, sober back up and get back on the wagon. And I'm here to tell people, and I'm often in the position of having to tell people in monogamous relationships, that if the person you were with for 40 years only cheated on you once or twice, they were good at it. Not bad at it. They were good at it. Good at monogamy. My name is Dan Savage, and I write Savage Love, which is a syndicated sex and relationship advice column that I've been writing for 30 years. And I also host the Savage Lovecast. And a lot of people are interested in what Dan has to say on this stuff. His podcast is crazy popular. He's written a best-selling book. And what he says is that our understanding of monogamy is in serious need of an overhaul. Western convention usually presupposes that love and monogamy go hand in hand. Like, if you love someone and the relationship is serious, you're exclusive. And if someone cheats, well, that's grounds for immediate termination. We ask for perfect fidelity. But we don't expect perfection from our partners in other aspects of the relationship. And Dan thinks that sort of absolutism about monogamy is sort of heartless. If you're with somebody for 10, 20 years, you have kids, you've merged finances, social networks, families, and it comes out that your partner has cheated on you five years ago and you find out about it, maybe that's something you should be able to get past. By placing so much weight on sexual fidelity, monogamists might set themselves up to throw away a good thing if somebody messes up. Dan himself is married and he's been with his husband, Terry, for a very long time. And over the course of their relationship, they've revised the terms of their arrangement. My relationship with Terry 20 years ago, we were mostly monogamous. When we were having sex, it was almost always usually with each other. But sometimes, you know, when the planets aligned, we could have sex with other people together or separately. But as an out gay couple in the middle of the marriage equality debate and as parents, when we told people we were, you know, not monogamous... People made assumptions about troops of men, strange men coming in and out of our house at all hours of the day and night. You know, it, it feels like in like the mainstream popular imagination, we conceptualize like the opposite of monogamy as either abject loneliness or nonstop promiscuity. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's why I coined the term monogamish. I kept saying mostly monogamous. And so I just thought we were monogamous with some squish. There are so many terms for the many ways to have a modern relationship. If you found yourself referencing a dog-eared copy of Urban Dictionary to decipher the acronyms on Tinder, you might have also run across ENM, or ethically non-monogamous, or words like polyamory or open relationship, where everybody's got permission to see other people. When Dan talks about non-monogamy, he doesn't sound like a hedonist throwing weekday orgies. He sounds kind of prim. When will we stop pretending that relationships have to be defined by the sexual connection that may have brought that relationship together at the start? When will we stop putting so much emphasis on sex? But I feel like you do your due diligence to say like, you know, I'm in favor of monogamy if you choose that and I want it to work for you. But then I like don't believe, I feel like you talk about monogamy like a needle exchange program. Like if you can't quit it, then here's the way to try to do it safely. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you're going to do this dangerous, stupid, reckless thing, you should do it as safely as possible. Yeah, I mean, I can see that there are advantages in a monogamous relationship. 
also myself having been in monogamous relationships, uh, you know, a certain amount of emotional security, uh, definitely, you know, sexual safety. The monogamous relationship I was in for five years was at the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic. It kept us safe. It's probably one of the reasons I'm alive now, even though we weren't perfectly monogamous or I wasn't the entire time we were together. Dan's since built a life where important relationships can be plural rather than strictly singular. The first person I knew to really commit to a non-monogamous lifestyle, let's call him Roy. We've had an actor voice up his bits, and we'll explain why in a second. Roy met his now wife when they were teenagers. We've been together since we hugged in a play in high school in 1998. Wait, did you hug in a play because that was like written into the script of the play? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> and then you were like, I think also offstage, we should also just hug until um, we're dead. <laughs> right. Somewhere near the end of our college years was when we decided to be non-monogamous. And maybe two years after that is when we got married. The decision to open up their relationship was sparked by a request from a female friend of Roy's. She was lesbian, looking to get pregnant, wanted to do it the analog way. And so she asked if Roy would be willing to have sex with her. Roy said he'd consider it, but obviously he had to talk about it with his partner. She, uh, I I shouldn't say as a name. Right. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, All right. Uh, My first big crush was... Janine Garofalo. So I'll say Janine. <laughs> so me and Janine were out for dinner. A brief interruption for a little exposition. For those of you who missed the 90s cult classic Reality Bites, Janine Garofalo is a comic and an actor. Former Saturday Night Live cast member with dark hair, quick wit, expressive features, a favorite of progressive bookish boys back in high school. Roy, carry on. So me and Janine were out for dinner. And I brought up, hey, my friend asked today if I could get her pregnant. What do you think? And it started this whole conversation. And we kind of figured out, like, oh, actually, like, the physical part of it isn't uncomfortable. If we're being honest, the part about cheating that we were scared of that seems the most harmful was the, like, lying and the sneaking about it. And if we erase that part of it, that the physical part didn't seem like it would be that much of a challenge. You know, we had been together at that point years and years, and it felt like we had been totally honest with each other. But one conversation that we had never had was the honest, I'm attracted to other people conversation. We just kind of pretended that that we weren't. We finally like admitted, like, yes, as I walk through the world, I notice other people that are attracted or that are attractive, and I'm attracted to them. And so we started the conversation of like, well, what would it look like if we got to pursue some of that attraction? And we talked about it, and discussed, and wrote, and rewrote rules, and read books for, I mean, probably six months or more before either of us actually went out on a date with anybody. Slowly and cautiously, they started to see other people, which at first confused the daylights out of their friends. 20 years ago or whatever, it was like, it was hard to find information about it. And it was hard to like find other people that knew a lot about it. And most people we were telling would be like, so you're breaking up? 
and, and it's like, no. <laughs> and and they're like, I thought things were okay with you guys. And, and it's like, no, actually, like, this is a sign that things are really good. That we're, like, so comfortable that we're messing with it and, like, trying something else. Being very thinky people, Roy and Janine were deliberate about trying to make connections with people who were already living a non-monogamous lifestyle successfully. Many years ago, we went to like a local polyamory meetup and it was at a turtle bread. We were sitting there and this is like we're like a month in where we haven't even started dating anyone yet. We're just looking for people to talk to. And listener, I must interrupt here. <laughs> Turtle Bread is like a homey neighborhood Minneapolis bakery slash restaurant place that makes a subway sandwich shop look like Studio 54. It's just like very mild mannered, um, like mom jeans, dog bowl out front. It's like normcore with carbs. So when you kiss on the mouth four people in a row in the middle of the Midwest at a turtle bread, you've been noticed at that point by everyone in the restaurant, right? Like it's a fairly public display that wouldn't tend to happen there. And so we were like, that's maybe not our vibe. But they did end up finding other poly friends that were a better fit and didn't greet with tongue. We kind of just like talked about like science and art and politics and like we were just kind of we were like oh we're just you know fairly like-minded and curious and interested people in those early years however roy was worried that choices he made in his private life could be professionally risky he's worked in public service for a very long time and over his career has been recognized with some significant accolades i've been doing the job that i've been doing now for over 15 years and i think when i was newer and the world was maybe different than it is now I was very worried that, like, if this was a public thing, it's possible I would just get fired or demoted or shelved in some way just because, like, the the place I work wouldn't want that kind of reputation attached to it. I mean, I think it's anyone who's doing something not heteronormative, not whatever, can be looked at as perverts. You know, for me, my life feels very, very normal. But the most immediate motive for discretion, the reason we've got an actor doing Roy's side of the conversation, is family. Janine Garofalo's family is very, very conservative. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. 
That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. It seems natural to have strong feelings about our own love lives. But we've also got such intense emotions about how other people are loving other people, even if they seem happy. Why? Some people react like as if my open relationship is a threat to their monogamous relationship. You know, not that like I'm trying to sleep with their partner or anything, but just like the existence of open relationships or people that might be happy in those is some sort of message of danger to the relationship they have. And I think that's true of like a lot of ways of living that have been normed when there's an alternative presented. People can be really uncomfortable with that or feel like it's an attack when, you know, it's obvious people are living their own life. Sexual exclusivity is part of the predetermined course that a romantic relationship is expected to follow. So where is this course supposed to be heading exactly? Philosopher Luke Brunning describes it as the relationship escalator. In our society, we typically think that relationships ought to deepen over time, right? That you start off, you meet someone, you might get to know them a bit, perhaps you start dating them. Then over time, you might become exclusive. Then you might say, ah, now this person's my boyfriend. Then people will naturally say, ah, you know, when are you going to get engaged? When are you going to get married? Let's say you get married, then they might start asking, when are you going to buy a house or have children and so on and so forth. So the relationship escalates is this really simple idea that once you're in a relationship, that relationship has to sort of change and evolve over time to become more complicated, more committed, in a way that ends up with your lives practically and often legally entwined. Luke is a lecturer at the University of Birmingham in the UK who researches personal relationships and the philosophy of emotions. I asked how popular monogamy is these days, like who's doing it and where. I'd say that as an ideal, monogamy is kind of spread around the world. So it's practiced fairly widely. There are some exceptions, but even in countries in the Middle East or some parts of the African continent, monogamy is increasingly taking hold as a romantic ideal. Am I to think of it sort of as a as one of many cultural exports? You know, is it like the new Drake record spreads around the world? Or is it the fact that you have communities that are landing on this form independently of one another? I think the answer would be a bit of both. It's certainly something that's been exported. Christian missionaries and sort of colonizers in general have done a lot to help promote this as an ideal. I don't spend a lot of time kicking it in missionary circles personally. But while monogamy as an ideal may be spreading around the world, in practice, Americans anyway, may be more likely to try other models. In 2021, researchers from the Kinsey Institute and Chapman University in the U.S. surveyed single Americans about polyamory. One out of six people expressed a desire to engage in polyamory, and one out of nine said they'd done it at some point in their life. But in trying to sort stuff out with the ex who handed me that book, I remember wondering if a predilection for monogamy was just sort of baked into some people and not others. And if so, asking someone to change seemed at best futile and at worst, like, proselytizing. Luke says that modern lifestyles may have something to do with the kind of relationships we find attractive. Today, for example, many young people are living less settled lives than they used to. They don't live in the same place for a very, very long amount of time. 
the idea of, a, of sort of owning a house with a picket fence and a garden full of, you know, goats and vegetables and their, and their, their single partner is something that many people just find very hard to envisage at all. Right. And that's not because they can't imagine it, but because they think it's inaccessible for them. People are much more sort of networked individuals these days, drawing sources of kind of emotional, social, cultural satisfaction and stability from all kinds of different people in their lives. I just want to make sure that there was one moment that I heard correctly. Did you say a house with a picket fence and a garden and a goat? Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> that says a lot about me. I got to up my own uh, I got to up my own fairy tale game. Monogamy is embedded in the very first stories we learn about love. Think fairy tales. Cinderella is essentially monogamy as foot fetish. But are those norms as relevant and resonant for someone like sexpert Dan Savage in a same-sex relationship? In heterosexual land, I think like commitment and monogamy are often like this two-for-one bundled package. Does that work similarly in the gay world? No, and it never has. I, I've I'm 56 years old. I came out when I was 16, 17 years old. And monogamy was always the conversation. It was negotiated. It was opt-in. And for straight people, monogamy has always seemed to be a default setting. From the very first night a couple spends together, Dan says that gay relationships necessarily involve a lot of talking. When a man and a man are going to bed together for the first time, they don't get to consent and stop communicating. They get to consent, yes, let's have sex, and then they keep talking because what's going to happen next isn't obvious, can't be assumed. You have to talk about what you want to do, what your desires are. Straight people avoid that conversation. Straight couples might just presume they agree what sex should be, what a relationship should be, whereas gay couples don't have the same scripts to lean on, so they got to negotiate every step. What do you actually want out of this? What should we build together? Dan Savage is one man leading one life who has not been elected official representative of gay people around the globe. But in his worldview, monogamy is just not the gold standard of romantic connection. I don't think gay men are failing at monogamy. I think gay men are succeeding at relationships and non-monogamy. Okay, enough about love for a minute. Let's talk money. It's time for Econ. I'm Marina Adshade. I'm assistant professor at the Vancouver School of Economics at the University of British Columbia. And my specialization is the economics of sex and love. So from the economic vantage point, what are the incentives for monogamous relationships? Well, throughout history, there's been a lot of incentives for monogamous relationships, particularly for men. Men in general, historically, haven't been big fans of putting their resources into children that are not their own. And so there's been a lot of incentive for women to be monogamous so that men aren't raising other men's children. And then the idea of like institutionalized monogamy, like living in a society that really, really frowns upon people having multiple sexual partners, that really comes out of the idea that, you know, you can't supervise somebody all the time. So what you do is you set up a, a system that is either a system of just like social norms or religion or laws that create that structure so that when you're not around, the other person, mostly the woman here, is not off having sexual relationships with other people. 
Marriage, it's worth noting, hasn't always been considered a fundamentally romantic endeavor. In the past, marriage was much more of an economic relationship. People got married to produce a household, essentially, to produce children. But in much of today's world, that's changed. More hallmark, less labor force. Marriage started to being about other things. It started being about more about love and companionship and about the joy of spending time with another person. And then once you make marriage more about those things, then it, it opens it up to other possibilities because it's no longer an economic relationship. If it's just about love and companionship, then why not have a triad, right? Dang, Marina, quick turn on that one. Also, technological advances have changed our attitudes about how sex and relationships fit together. And so as birth control technology comes better and better, then the incentives change, right? You're less concerned that your partner is going to go off and have a baby with someone else if she is sexually active with another man. And so that will erode away some of the incentives for enforcing monogamy in relationships. If our incentives for sexual exclusivity are eroding, does that mean that monogamy's on its way out and rom-coms are dead and Cinderella just stays out all night barefooted in a beast of foam party? Mm, not yet. I know we see a lot of studies where we say that young people, you know, the next generation that's coming up is kind of less tied to the idea of monogamy. They're more open to having relationships with multiple people. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see once they get a little bit further on in their lives and their children become involved, whether or not they'll be as receptive to those ideas. And that I think we still have to wait and see. When I took honest stock of my own resistance to polyamory, at least a part of me was concerned about being judged. I worried what people might think, which is a lousy way to make big and fundamentally personal choices. I don't want my decisions on who and how to love to be based on the gossip at a neighbor's house. But people do pass sweeping judgments on other people's love lives. Roy was worried about it. Dan Savage, the love and sex columnist, says his relationship has been dismissed, out of hand, for not adhering to convention. Like, it just wouldn't count. It used to only be people who were monogamous telling those of us who were not monogamous that we were doing love wrong, or that we weren't in love. And that if we were in love, we couldn't do this. I don't look at monogamous people and say, you're not in love. Because if you were really in love, you'd be having three ways. I never say that to monogamous people. It's the mixing monogamy with love that, that really harms not open relationships like mine, but monogamous relationships. Dan suggests that monogamous arrangements actually de-emphasize the sexual aspect of a relationship. And in doing so, can strengthen the emotional connection that so many of us seem so concerned about. And as for him and his husband, Terry, they are solid. We've been together almost 30 years now. And yet, despite having been together for three decades, I have been in the position on numerous occasions where someone will look at me and say, as we're talking about relationships, I could never do what you and Terry do because I value commitment too highly. All of my marriages have been monogamous. Unpack that. Like Terry and I have been together for three decades. We aren't committed to each other. And you have been married multiple times, and each one of those marriages was monogamous. So you were committed to monogamy. You never committed to a human being, to a person. You committed to that, to an ideal. I committed to Terry, and he committed to me.
I have no idea where that copy of The Ethical Slut is now. Wasn't quite my cup of gasoline. These many years later, I still generally regard myself as a monogamist, though I'm single at the moment. So maybe a non-practicing monogamist? An aspiring monogamist? But I find myself less surprised and less scandalized by the array of romantic arrangements. Even falling hard for someone doesn't mean that they're the only one. Polyamory might even alleviate some of the intense pressures and stresses imposed by expectations of perfect fidelity. And I'm personally more eager to design a relationship based on the specific desires of the people in it, rather than a blind allegiance to a societal script. Meaningful commitments can be made with or without monogamous agreements. Some of us might skip the romantic buffet altogether, and some of us still queue up to board the relationship escalator, hoping for their goat. There's a lot of people, you know. One love might not fit all. Deeply Human is a BBC World Service and American Public Media co-production with iHeartMedia. It's hosted by me, Dessa. Find me online at Dessa on Instagram and Dessa Darling on Twitter. We humans are real sensitive to power dynamics. We key into one another's body language, vocal register, patterns of eye contact, all possible cues as to who is alpha at this particular business meeting or birthday party or whatever. Next time on Deeply Human, why do we form social hierarchies?